0: Thank you guys and gals this morning. (coughs) Take your Bible this morning if you would and turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I want to read that in your hearing as we bring to an end. 2018, that's just amazing to me that another year is gone. I don't know about y'all. I was always told when I was a youngster that time flies as you get older. I didn't know it was supersonic when you got older. Uh, some of you know exactly what that's like in 2019 stretching before us we have no idea what it holds but you know I just want to tell you this morning as we begin we can rest assured that God still holds that year in his hand he's already there he already knows what's going to take place and maybe some good stuff maybe some things that we see as bad stuff but I want to remind you that we have the promise from the word of God that he works in all things to bring it about to good to those that love him and called according to his purpose so you can rest assured that he's got you He's got you and he'll hold you in the palm of his hand and if this world ceases to exist in 2019, that'll be all right because if we know him, then we're gonna to continue to exist in a much, much better way in the days that lie ahead. But this morning, I wanna bring a message that I hope will be a challenge as we bring to an end 2018 and, uh, and it is taken from 1 Corinthians. I'm gonna read an extensive passage of scripture and then just make a few comments. Beginning in chapter nine, verse 24. If you'll look there and follow along with me, the scripture says this, Do you not know that those who run a race all run, but one receives a prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize exercises self-control in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we do it to obtain an imperishable crown. Therefore I run... Not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become cast away or disqualified. Disqualified. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all of our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now listen verse 6. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters as some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents, nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all of these things happened to them as examples, and they They are written for our instruction, our admonition, upon whom the ends of the age have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. No temptation has taken you except which is common to men. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with every temptation will also make a way for you to escape, that you may be able to bear it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men, judge for your sake of what I'm saying. I heard that passage of Scripture read and preached over 30 years ago. Uh, As I began ministry, I was in Anderson, South Carolina. Uh, You know, when something speaks to me and I can remember where I was and when it was and who did it, I think it's something that maybe should stick in somebody else's mind. But I heard it over 30 years ago and a gentleman by the name of Dr. Kenneth Writings, who is now with the Lord, brought a message. And in that message, he addressed something that I had thought about before that time, but it just struck such a note in me that I thought I would share it with you today. The message made me aware or even more aware of a fear that I had had. And that fear that I had when I began ministry was simply this, that I might do something in some way that would disqualify me from being used by God. And it was a scary thought to me. I I worried and I wondered, is it possible? What if I were to do something that would cause God to take his hand from my life? And that's what Paul was talking about. He called it the horror of becoming cast away. It's a scary thing. And every preacher needs to be aware of that possibility, especially in this day and age in which we live. Have you ever heard so many newscasts about men of God, supposedly men of God anyway, and I believe men of God, who have, who have done something that has disqualified them even later on in life from being used by God because of their disobedience or carelessness or whatever, and God had to withdraw His hand from their lives? Well, don't you know that's a possibility? And it should scare every preacher. But I want you to know something. It is not preachers only who have been assigned the responsibility of a great task. Preachers are not the only one who have been called by God. Preachers just simply have been called by God to a vocation, to a particular uh, work, if you will, to a particular job uh, and and a task to be done, but we're not the only ones. Preachers are not the only ones who have been given the responsibility of running the race with the intention of winning. Every born-again child of God has been called and, and assigned by God a race to run, and we need to be aware that we're not only to run the race just to participate in it, but we're to run with the inclination that we're going to win the race. There's something to win. Preachers are not the only one that are supposed to be trying to win the race. Preachers are not the only one who experience the empowering hand of God on their lives. That's not, it's not reserved for preachers. Every born again child of God has that opportunity and is empowered by God through the person of his Holy Spirit to do the things that God has called us to do. As a matter of fact, can I say this? Preachers are not the only one that God uses and sometimes God uses other people a whole lot better than he can preachers. You know, there's a certain expectation that you have of somebody who calls himself a preacher. A certain way that we're supposed to act, certain things we can do, certain things that we cannot do. And because of that, there are things that we are limited. You know, there there are areas that we are kind of limited in because as soon as we walk in the door, people have a preconceived notion. So God can use people who are not preachers to accomplish his task sometimes much better than he can those who are in this profession that I happen to be in. Every one of us who have been saved by the precious blood of Jesus and called to be partakers in the establishment of the kingdom of God in, in this community, in this country, in this world, have been assigned the responsibility of a great task. And with that assignment, with that responsibility, comes the possibility of a great tragedy. And we need to know that. And that tragedy is getting to the point where because of ignorance, because of arrogance, because of insensitivity, or because of lack of consideration, God has to withdraw His hand from our lives. God has to withdraw His unction, His power, His anointing, if you will. He has to withdraw that from our lives. Now, it doesn't mean that, that we lose our salvation because I'm here to tell you that I believe that anybody who has come to Christ as Lord and Savior, they are alive, been baptized in the blood of, of, of the Lamb, you are saved and you're secure forever. I don't believe there's a possibility of being saved and lost. We're saved and we're secure if we're truly saved. But there does exist the possibility that God can withdraw his anointing, withdraw his unction, and the result is that we become cast away. Let me explain kind of what I'm talking about this morning. All of us have walked through cemeteries, haven't we? And if you walk through cemeteries, especially old cemeteries, uh, you read the grave markers, you know. And there's all kinds of stuff written on grave markers, now, I was going to spend a lot of time on this this morning talking about it because I found some really neat things on some grave markers. I found, I found well, y'all like this one. It, it said this, I told y'all I was sick. <laughs> you know? And you said would somebody do that? Well, yeah, they would. I, I, in 1887, and I didn't write this one down, but it was in, in Tombstone, Arizona. There's a tombstone that said, he was right, we was wrong, we hung him, now he's gone. And I, just all kind of all kind of crazy stuff that people people write down on grave markers. I saw one where uh, it's Kay's K's fudge recipe, and on the tombstone, about this high, it's got all the ingredients for a fudge recipe. Yeah, people got sense of humor.s I saw one that said the shell is here, but the nut is gone. That's what I want on mine. The shell is here, but the nut is gone. So there's a lot of humorous things that people have written on tombstones. And I kind of like sense of humor and things like that. But just about every time you go to a cemetery, if you walk around, you'll look and you'll see things like "Good mother," "Good father," "Good husband." That's what Jesus is going to put on mine. "Good husband," <laughs> "Good wife," you know. But in every cemetery where they allow you to put markers that have sayings on them, you're going to read this: "Gone, but not forgotten." Right? And that, that expresses a wonderful sentiment. You know, it expresses the fact that while that person may be dead, they're no longer there, that the people who are left behind remember them and, and, and they'll never be forgotten. Their memory will always be fresh in their hearts and their minds. That's a great thing. Gone but not forgotten. Well, what Paul is saying here is that there exists the possibility for a child of God Who becomes disobedient, arrogant, unusable by God, to be forgotten but not gone. To be forgotten but not gone. That's a horrible thing, isn't it? To be just ignored, put on the shelf by God. When I was growing up, I, uh, and I don't know what caused me to do this, but I got out a picture album, you know, at home when I was just a small child. And I got to looking through that album, and I noticed something that really hurt me, you know, kind of bothered me. I noticed that there were a lot of pictures of all my siblings, but there were not very many of me. And I began to think, well, I've been forgotten, but I'm, go- I'm not gone. Well, I began to question my mom and dad about that. And, you know, my sisters told me, well, the reason is because they found me under a rock, I kind of believed that. But my little heart was hurt because they had pictures of my brother and two sisters, but very few of me. Well, as I got older and I had children of my own, I began to understand it a little bit more, and you know how this is. You know, when you have your first child, you go out and buy a camera and a video camera, and a, well, you just buy a new phone now, but you know, you, you, you have something, to take, and you take pictures of everything they do. Look, sweetheart, he just threw up. Take a picture of that. And, and take a picture that's his first diaper take a picture yeah I know I want to see that and you take pictures of everything right I mean you, you, got, you use all the memory up on your phone with the pictures of that first baby then the second one comes along and you begin to realize well you know what I haven't got time to take all those pictures so you take less pictures and then another one comes along and then you, you, you take less pictures and that fourth one comes along and in my case there was four of us and they took pictures of all the rest of them and and they quit taking pictures when I came along because they thought they'd seen everything and boy were they wrong. But they, they thought that they'd seen everything so they didn't take nearly as many pictures but the reason was because it was expensive to have all that stuff done. So it wasn't that I was forgotten and not gone, it's just that they didn't take that many pictures but in my young heart, I felt that I had been forgotten even though I was right there. Now they probably wish they could have forgotten a lot of things I did. But it is a, it's a reality and it hurts, doesn't it? When your family and your friends seem to ignore you when you're there but you're not there. Doesn't that hurt? Doesn't doesn't that make you feel bad? But I want you to know as terrible as that is, as horrible as that is, there exists the real possibility to those who have accepted the invitation of God to take part in this race that we are to run and then we allow something to come into our lives that disqualifies us from being used by God. Paul's talking about the possibility that exists of being put on the shelf by God because of the inconsistency of our lives and making ourselves unavailable to be used by the Master. And Paul says that can happen to us. And as we face 2019, folks, we need to come to the, a, a commitment in our hearts and our lives that that's not going to happen to us. Paul's talking about being laid aside, having the power withdrawn, being bypassed by God, forgotten but not gone. I've heard it said, and I've said it myself, that we need to live in such a way that uh, we get the devil's attention. And we do. Our lives need to, to be such a contrast to the way of the world that the devil needs to always know that we're around, right? Amen. We need to live in such a way that the devil cannot forget that we are in this world. But can I tell you a greater statement is this? We need to live our lives in such a way that God cannot ignore us when he needs somebody to do something. We need to live in such a way that that God cannot ignore us. And Paul is saying in verses 24 through 27 of chapter 9 that he wanted to live in such a way that when God needed somebody, the first name on God's mind was Paul. Wouldn't it be great if we made that commitment in 2019? When God needs somebody to go, the first name on his his mind is me. When God needs somebody to do something, I'm the first one that he thinks about. When God needs somebody to stay, when God needs somebody to stand, when God needs anybody to do anything, we should live our lives in such a way that we are the one he thinks about. He doesn't have to think about down the list to somebody else. We need to live our lives in such a way that he can use us. All the time, in any way, Paul wanted to be so careful that he lived his life in such a way that nothing would disqualify him from selection by God to do anything that needed to be done. No matter how great it was or no matter how seemingly small it was, Paul said, I want to live in such a way that God is always aware of my life and my availability. That's got to be the aim of our lives as we run the race that is before us. And and I want you to notice what I said there. I said that we need to live that way as we run the race that is before us. We need to understand that just because God used you last year is no sign he'll use you this year. Just because God used you last year is no sign he'll use you this year. Because you see, the race we run is one that is always before us. There's always another thing to do. There's always something else that we should be about. There's always another opportunity to serve the master. The race is always before us. Just because God used you last year is no sign he'll use you this year. Just because God did something great in your life yesterday is no sign he'll do something great in your life tomorrow. Just because God blessed this church last year is no sign that he is under some kind of obligation to bless this church in the year ahead it's possible that we could do something that will cause God to take his power from our lives take God, God take his power from our church that's frightening isn't it it's frightening to think that there's the possibility that we can be forgotten and not gone well if I see the look on your face and some are saying I don't believe that happens preacher I don't believe God would do that really Have you read the Bible? May I call your attention to the Word of God? And I think you'll see that God has done that in the past, and God will certainly do it again if He's done it with some of these folks. I don't know why we think that He would not do it from us if we cease to be faithful. I invite you to look in the book of Judges, and you'll see the story of a man there that we talk about very often in vacation Bible school and in children's Sunday school. His name was Samson. God called Samson to do a great task, called him to be a judge of Israel and Samson stepped up to do the task and for a while he did what God told him to do he didn't cut his hair he didn't do all those kinds of things and, and God used Samson to accomplish some great things God, God used Samson and made him a mighty man Samson was blessed by God and because of him Israel was blessed but then Samson began to yield to the flesh right you know the story right How Samson decided that he wanted to marry a woman that he shouldn't marry and all this kind of stuff and he he got in the face of his mom and daddy and he was a spoiled brat and he did what he wanted to do and the result was this. Samson followed the flesh, he yielded to the things of the world and he took for granted the blessings of God. And because of that, if you want to, when you get home, look at this. Look in Judges 16, 20 through 21, and you'll see this. Now, this is the last time. He's been with Delilah, you know, and, and she's been trying to trick him. And Samson, being a very foolish man, continued to tell her different things. And over and over again, she would say, he would say, this is the reason for my strength. And, and uh, she would go tell the Philistines. The Philistines would come in and try to get him. And he would shake himself, and then he would defeat the Philistines, Okay. So now this is the last time. And she, she just kept on saying, Samson, if you, if you love me, you tell me. You know, and, and he said, well, okay, I'll tell you. So he said, you know, it's my hair. It, the hair was not his strength. The hair was a sign of his obedience. The hair, he said, it's my hair. If you cut my hair, I'll be like any other man. Well, he went to sleep and she cut his hair. Duh. She cut his hair. Now then I get to the scripture here. And she, Delilah, said, this is after she cut his hair, and she, Delilah, said, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he woke out of his sleep, and he said, I'll go out as other times as before, and I'll shake myself, and get these words, and he wist not, he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Isn't that sad? He got up, he shook himself, and he said, Man, I'll do like I've always done. I'll go out, and I'll whoop them. And the Bible says, and he did not know that the Lord had departed from him, but the Philistines took him and they put out his eyes and they brought him down to Gaza and they bound him with fetters of brass and he did grind in the prison house. Samson was bypassed by God, but he was not gone. He was put on the shelf. Why was Samson put on the shelf? Because of his disobedience and his inclination to do what he wanted to do in spite of what God had told him to do. There's another man in the Old Testament, a fellow by the name of, of Saul. We see it in 1 Samuel. He was a man that was chosen by God. Now, he was anointed as king of Israel by Samuel, but he was chosen by God to be the king. And he, he, he developed, he created a great empire. Saul was a great king, first king of Israel. He was, a, he was a big man. He was a great man. And he thought he had it all going his way. But then one day, he decided he would do something he was not supposed to do and then he didn't do what he was supposed to do. And I want to read you the results then. First Samuel 15, it says this, verses 22. It says, and Samuel said, after this event, Samuel said, Hath the Lord his greater delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word. Did y'all hear that? Because thou has rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. Saul was put on the shelf. He was forgotten, but he was not gone. You might want to argue with me that those things happened in the Old Testament and they don't have any indication of what God would do in our day. Well, I beg your pardon. The text I read you was referring to the Exodus and the things that happened in the Exodus, but I think it applies to all the Old Testament where it says, now all these things happen. The Old Testament stories, the Old Testament types, all these things happen to them for examples and they're written down for us for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world have come. The Old Testament types, the Old Testament symbols are for our help that we might not fall victim to the same things that they fell victim to. They're to teach us. They're to show us. Old Testament is important because it shows how God dealt with human beings. It show how, shows how he interacted with his creation. So they're there for us. If such a thing could happen to the great men of the Old Testament, great men of the New Testament, they certainly can happen to me and to you and to our church. We've been assigned a great responsibility. We've been assigned a tremendous task. We've been assigned a race to run and we're to run it with the intention of winning. But with that great opportunity, with that great privilege, exists the possibility of a great tragedy. I don't want to become a castaway to you. This means no. This means yes. I don't want to be forgotten, but not gone. But with the possibilities in mind, I want to share with you just about three things. Three groups, if you will, three peoples who are candidates for becoming castaway. Real quickly. First of all, those who are a candidate for becoming castaway are those who take for granted the blessings of God. You are a candidate for becoming castaway, being forgotten but not gone, if you take for granted the blessings of God. We live in such a sensation-seeking society that we're in danger of taking for granted the blessings that God has given us. We we are so enamored by all the technological advances and all the things that are at our disposal, we sometimes get the idea that we can do it by ourselves. Don't we? Man, you know, uh, technology will come with an answer. Science will find an answer. And we forget that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father. So rather than giving God praise and honor and glory for the things he hath done, we begin to, to take that for ourselves. We begin to take for granted the blessings of God. And, and I want to tell you something. If, if you are taking for granted the wonderful blessings of God, you might already be cast away. If you're going through this life now and you're, and you're going through all kinds of struggles, it might very well be that you have taken for granted what God has done for you. Now, I want to give you just a list of some blessings right now that's based on this text that goes beyond the physical blessings that we have. But the blessings of the, that the, the text reveals to us and using the illustrations of the Old Testament saints, he talks about salvation that was provided for them. Passing through the sea is what it talks about. You know, when they came out of the land of Egypt and they got to the Red Sea, God parted the sea and they went across to the other side, right? That was their salvation they were saved by the power of God they were saved by the might of his hand and not only did he save them by letting them pass through the sea being baptized in the sea with Moses as he talks about he also sent before them a pillow of cloud by day and a pillow of fire by night he gave them guidance and provisions all along the way he showed them where they were going he he gave them directions in their path the cloud separated them from danger and guided them to the direction they needed to go he gave them provisions the Bible says that he sent manna from heaven every day when the children of Israel God, uh, God had set the table of, of, of breakfast for him if you will he put manna on the ground and they went and gathered it for that day he gave them provision day after day after day he was the bread of heaven that came to them He provided for them, but not only that, he gave them water from the rock. He he provided for them in that dry and desert land. God had provided for the people. And yet Paul said that because of their attitudes, because of their arrogance, because of their disobedience, many of them perished in the wilderness. In spite of all of that, with many people, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness, the Scripture says. Well, let me just tell you our blessings real quickly. First of all, we have salvation. If you're here today, and you know Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior of your life. You didn't get there by yourself and you didn't get there on your own. It was not by your initiative. It was God who took the initiative, sent his son Jesus to die on Calvary's cross for our sin and made a way for salvation. Salvation is a blessing of God. We need to always remember that if you're saved today, you're saved because God in his divine providence and sovereignty invaded your life with his divine grace. So we have salvation. You say, well, you know, I don't have all the things I want. If you've got Jesus, you've got all you need. We have become such a selfish, sensation-seeking society. We forget who we are and whose we are and what we have because of what he has done by his own divine blood. We have salvation. Can I tell you what's wrong with America today? Would you all like me to, anybody want to know? Well, I'm going to tell you. The church is what's wrong with America. And the thing that's wrong with the church is that we've gotten over being saved. Christians have got over being saved. We don't understand the wonderful gift that we have in Christ Jesus. We take for granted our blessings. We take for granted the blessing of salvation. We take for granted the blessing of safety and guidance. God has promised that He'd give us He, he would guide us. He sends the Holy Spirit to, to 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 give direction in our lives. I don't know about you, but I am so thankful that the Holy Spirit still speaks to our hearts if we'll only be quiet enough and turn the iPhone off and the iPad off and the computer off long enough to hear him. We take it for granted. He gives us guidance. He has promised to get us safely to the other side. He gives us provisions. All we have, we have because of Him. He gives us an opportunity for service. One of the greatest blessings that we have is to be able to serve a risen Savior. Do you know that? One of the greatest blessings that we have is to have the opportunity to serve a risen Savior. Now some of the service things are big. Some of the service things may seem small. But did y'all realize there's no small job to God? Do you know that there's nothing small in the eyes of God if we're doing it for Him, then He's pleased and and He's glorified because we do it for Him that there are those who look for places of service but uh, they, they don't want to serve if it's not as important as they think it should be. But you know, if they're that way, you're a candidate for becoming castaway, or you already are. Charles Stanley, I believe it was, one that said it if you're too good to serve it in place, you're probably not good enough to serve anywhere. That hurts, doesn't it? If you think there's something that's beneath you, then you're beneath about everything. Many people take for granted what God's doing unsatisfied with the manifold blessings we enjoy always wanting more and more and more and i want you to know if that's who you are you're in danger of being cast away if you're not already second thing those who are candidate for becoming cast away are those who have become unconcerned about god's warnings chapter 10 first corinthians chapter 10 verses 6 through 11 You'll find the list that's given there. And, and Paul is talking about being disqualified. And, and he gives these warnings. God has given warnings about things that, that we are to avoid as his children. If we're going to be blessed by God, used by God, anointed by God, empowered by God, there are things that we have to stay away from. In chapter uh, 10, ver- uh, verse 6, it says, don't lust. Don't lust. What, how do we lust? When we have a desire for anything God has declared off limits, that's lust. Okay, that's just simple, isn't it? Anything God has declared off limits and we have the desire for that, that is lusting after those things. God said, don't do it. Don't let your mind go that way. Don't let your mind go there. Don't lust. Then he moves on in, in verse seven and he says, uh, he says, he gives this warning against idolatry. The golden calf was the problem of the, the, the Israelites as they were coming out of the land of Egypt, Right? But you know, anything can be a golden calf. Your home can be a golden calf. Your children can be a golden calf. Your land can be a golden calf. Your money can be a golden calf. Your family can be a golden calf. I know some folks who've got friends that are golden calves. Hello? Anything, anything... That, that God has, has said that we should not have that, that takes the place of him anything that relegates Jesus Christ to anything is at first place in our life is an idol before God and now, now honestly church how many of us have idols in our homes? how many have idols? I know families that their children are their idols They'd move heaven and hell to do something for a child if it had to do with a ball, but they wouldn't do anything to get him to church. Hello? Amen. Candidate for becoming a castaway. Being gone. Being forgotten and not gone. We do that, we forget. He warns us against fornication. He says 23,000 died because of it. Listen, I know we live in a liberal society where sexual norms supposedly have changed. I got news for you, church, and you can take this to the bank. You can listen to it on Facebook Live, whatever. I want you to know God has not changed his mind about fornication no matter what our society may say. He said, stay away from it. He said, one man, one woman, one lifetime. That's what his desire is. That's what his design is. And anything apart from that is a sin before Almighty God. I'm old. I'm real old. I'm old fashioned, I'm old timey. But that's not old fashioned or old timey, that's new time, now time, any time. Law of God. So he warns against it. Warns against tempting God in verse nine. That's trying God's patience. I know y'all don't do this. What that means is blaming God for the things that go bad but not giving Him praise for the things that go good. No, no, we wouldn't do that, would we? Everything bad that happens is God's fault, right? You know, I don't know why God would do what He did. And God's saying, I don't know why you did what you did. And yet, something good comes into our lives and we'll say, look what I did, look what I did, look what I did, look what I did. Isn't that the way we are? that's, That's us, that's the United States of America. Why is America in the shape it's in right now? Well, because God has forgotten America. No, it's because America forgot God. And when America, when the stock market is rocketing, does, do any of you follow on your news and say, oh, thank you, God, for the stock market being good? No, we say, boy, they always made a good decision, didn't they? They made good investments. But when it crashes, I don't know why God took his hand off America. I don't know why God. We try God's patience. If you are a parent and your child treats you that way, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? If your child always blames you, they've made a C, so they blame you. It's always your fault, always your fault, always your fault. And then when something good happens that you have done for them, they don't thank you for it, they don't give you praise for it, they don't come and hug you and tell you they love you for it. What are you going to do? You're not going to answer me. I know what you're going to do. You, you, you're going to say, well, let's see how you work out next time when you want something. Right? Right? We try God's patience every day of our lives almost, don't we, church? Candidates for becoming cast away. When we, when we come to that point in our lives that we are unconcerned about God's warning. He warned against critical spirits. He says, he says these are the things that you need to be aware of. You're a candidate for becoming a castaway if you, if you take for granted the blessings of God, if you become unconcerned about God's warnings. And the third class, and lastly, those who have become careless about God's solution. Can I tell you this morning that as bad as all that stuff in and as hard as all that stuff I've already told you, God's got a solution. Are y'all glad? God's got a solution. And and even though even though we may have sinned and we have and even though we, we have may have become a people who are are less concerned about the things of God and are less obedient to the things of God God's still got a solution and the reason he's got a solution because he loves us and here is his solution in chapter uh, in in the twelfth verse he says first of all you need to recognize the possibility of failure therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall let me tell you something folks when you think it ain't going to happen it's probably already in the process probably already in the process. As soon as you think it can't happen to you, you are a prime target for Satan for it to happen to you. I always like to tell this story because it's on me, and it's true. I used to work for a telephone company, and I used to climb poles. I was a lot thinner in those days. But I used to climb poles, and I was good at it. When they needed something done, very often it was me and one other guy. We would go climb the poles. Didn't matter how tall they were, we always climbed the poles. Well, one day I was out by myself and, and I was working on a line and, and I had to go up a pole and I just strapped on my hooks, put my belt on. I wasn't paying any attention to anything and I ran up that pole. Well, as I got ready to come down, I, and, and I'm good, you know, because I've I never had fallen, never have slipped, never had cut out. Nothing's ever happened. I was always, it, it's just fine. I, I knew what I was doing. I was good. I was good. I took one step to come down. I swung around the pole, my hooks cut out, and I landed flat on my back in the ditch. And when I hit that ground, I thought, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. When you think it won't happen to you, you're prime suspect, you're prime candidate for it happening to you. I don't know how many people I have talked with who thought that they could handle uh, uh, talking to people outside of their marriage and flirting with people outside of their marriage and sharing confidences with people outside of their marriage only to find out the next thing that they took another step and they didn't mean to do that. They're not going to do anything else. But like Samson, the next thing they know, the power of God had been withdrawn from their life and they failed. We need to always be aware that there is the possibility of that fall, so that's part of the solution. We recognize that we are not able in and of ourselves to resist the temptations of Satan. Uh, there's a verse that we use so often, misuse so often, it says that we are to resist the devil and he will flee from you. How's that working for some of you? Do you think slew foot's scared of you? Huh? The devil's not afraid of you. If you're going to use that verse, you need to back up where it says, Submit yourself to the will of God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you because it's not you that's doing it, it's God that's doing it for you. Well, I don't think it'll ever happen to me. Will you just come see me after it does? Because when you think it won't, it will. Some of you know what I'm talking about, don't you? I didn't mean to get where I was. I didn't mean to do what I did. I didn't mean to get in that situation. I didn't mean for that situation to progress. But it did. Well, the solution to becoming a, the solution to prevent from becoming a castaway is to first of all recognize there is the possibility. How many of us? How many of us live our lives in how close we can get to sin rather than how far away we can stay from it? We like to get right at the edge, don't we? Because we don't think we'll ever fail. We need to recognize the solution. We need to remember the faithfulness is promised. God is faithful. What do he say in verse 13? No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. God's promise that he will help us. He is faithful. Remember that flight is profitable. In verse 14, what did he say? Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Flee. sometimes running is the best solution sometimes running away from it removing yourself from the situation not seeing how close you can get but how far away from it you can be sometimes there are things that have got to be given up in order to rid ourselves of idols Anything that relegates Jesus to second place is an idol before God. If it keeps you from the service of God, if it keeps you from total surrender to God, it's an idol before God and you need to put it aside. Candidates for becoming castaways. Three groups really those who take for granted God's blessings, those who become unconcerned about God's warnings, and those who become careless about God's solutions. Now I don't know where you are this morning. But my prayer is today that we'll make commitments necessary not to be forgotten and not gone. Four statements. You say, Well, I don't know about all this. Bill, how do we do this? I'm tell you, listen. You don't have to worry about lust because lust cannot live where Jesus Christ is Lord. You don't have to worry about fornication, because fornication cannot live where Jesus Christ is Lord. You don't have to worry about trying God's patience, because, you see, you won't try God's patience when Jesus Christ is Lord. You don't have to worry about murmuring or complaining against God because that cannot live where Jesus Christ is Lord. Those those things cannot exist where Jesus is Lord. What a sad thing to be forgotten and not gone. If you find that you're part of any of these groups I've talked about this morning, I want you to know you're a candidate for or you already are cast away. but I want all of us to recognize today that the possibility exists if we take our eyes off of the prize. If we remove the Lord Jesus Christ from the place that he is supposed to be in the center of our lives and submitted to him as Lord in every area of our lives, then we too stand in danger. And if you say it won't happen to me, it can't happen to me, let him who stunk his stand take heed lest he fall. What do we do? Jesus said that we take up our cross daily and we follow him. We daily surrender to him. We daily commit to him. We daily yield to him and then be able to say to him, Lord, if you've got something that you want done, use me. Call me. Should you bow your heads with me? I don't know where anybody is in this place today but I just want to call Saul to commitment this morning will we commit ourselves in 2019 and beyond to living life in such a way that God can't forget us that when he wants something done we'll do it big or small we'll do it maybe today you have to say you know there's areas of my life that I'm kind of holding on for myself and, and I'm, not, I'm not giving up for the Lord to be in me and through me and what He needs to be well today I wonder would you say Lord I don't want to become cast away I want to be a blessing to you and I surrender that area to you today Would you do that? Maybe today you say, well, every area of my life I know of, I've surrendered to God. Then that's great. Do you want to come this morning and kneel before God as we end this year and say, Lord, help me next year to to grow and become more, more of a person that you can use? If you don't know Jesus, I want to tell you, He is the way, He's the truth, and the life. And if you're aware today that you don't know him, that's his invitation to you. Would you receive his gift? Father God, I pray this morning that you would, through the person of your Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts, draw us to yourself. Lord, help us to be a people who are so surrendered to you that whatever you have to do, we're available. If there be one here that does not know Jesus and the free pardon of sin, I pray as always, Father, that you do the work that only you can do to draw them to yourself. So, Father, I pray again that the Holy Spirit will do the will of the Father on behalf of the Son. And we'll give Jesus praise. For I ask it in his name. We're going to stand, worship team's going to lead us in this little hymn of invitation. This altar is open, 2018 ends, 2019 begins. You'd like to come, you come. Whatever the Lord leads you to do, you do it at this moment during this time of invitation.